Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Freezing Time with me, Sophia Money Coots, created by Offscript. Hello, I'm Sophia Money Coots. I'm 35, single, and freezing my eggs. In this podcast, I'm taking you through the story of my own egg freezing, as well as talking to experts and women who've gone through the treatment themselves. I know I said goodbye at the end of episode 10, like that was it forever, but who can resist the bonus episode? I've gone mad with power. Ha 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 ha! Okay, enough silliness. One of the things that's cropped up a few times in this podcast is the topic of egg donation and I wanted to go a little deeper into it before the series ended. So in this special bonus episode, I meet egg donation expert Dr. Minakshi Chowdhury and Elaine Chong, a woman who went through this whole egg freezing process purely to donate her eggs to a total stranger. As I've said approximately a thousand times, I'm super lucky to have been able to freeze any eggs, let alone 22. Many women aren't able to have eggs collected for a variety of reasons. And for these women, using a donor egg is a potential option. Obviously, I don't want to womansplain biology to you. But if you donate an egg to someone, then you're also donating them your genes. This, to use an unscientific term, is a pretty big deal. It's also something I've occasionally tried to weigh up during the egg freezing process. How would I feel if I was donating my eggs to someone else? Also, sort of on the flip side... How important is it to me that any future baby I have is genetically related to me? Say I can't get pregnant down the line, would I consider using someone else's eggs? I still don't know at the moment. I barely know what's happening tomorrow right now. But I've got all those eggs in the freezer, and I'll see what happens over the next couple of years. The genetics thing is something Dr Meenakshi Chowdhury, a fertility consultant at the Newcastle Fertility Centre at Life, talks about with her patients. What's important? What do you really want? I mean, when you're going for egg freezing, what have you thought? And the only thing most of them, the common theme that comes out from these women is that they want to have a baby. And it never comes out that they want to have a genetically related baby. Uh. So when you probe into it further, they said, oh, actually, I did not think about other family forming options. They just thought, okay, I will be left without a baby and they wanted a baby. So that opens up. Is it the end of the road uh, for them or is it not actually? And it is not, even if, say, some women are not able to freeze their eggs or if they're not able to have a live birth from those frozen eggs and they reach an age when their egg quality is not good enough or they're not going to respond, then the other ways of forming a family is having a baby. Uh, Is it important to have a baby? Is it important just to be a mum? Because mum, you can be by adoption as well or fostering Mm -hmm. a lot of other ways. Mm-hmm. Or if it's having a baby, is it imp- how important it is to have a genetically related mom? Mm-hmm. And if you're not able to, egg donation is a crucial option as well, which you can consider. So yes, egg donor option is on the rise. Full disclosure, 
I first got in touch with Dr Meenakshi after reading a fairly incendiary article that got right up my nose, which quoted her saying women should settle for Mr Good Enough and have a baby with him instead of freezing their eggs. So I started interviewing her and was all ready to be furious. But once we got chatting, it transpired that the quote had been taken wildly out of context. Journalist, huh? And she was not, in fact, advocating that women settle for a crap boyfriend who leaves his beard hairs in the sink. What she does want is for more women to be aware of egg donation. In fact, she leads the egg donor programme at Newcastle Fertility Centre. So the trend we have noticed is that previously egg donor option was uh, the women who were receiving those eggs were mainly because they had gone through cancer treatment or had genetic condition like Turner syndrome and all. So whose ovaries were not working. But since then, the trend has changed and we have got a lot of women whose ovaries are not working because of reproductive aging that Mm -hmm. are coming to use donor eggs. So it is definitely a growing um, field and a lot of women are using donor eggs and the need for donor eggs has increased tremendously because of that. Are there enough? Are there enough donors in the UK? Yeah, so UK has, um, there was donor anonymity law in the past. Uh, But in 2005, yes, Mm. it was changed and it was removed. So since then, I mean, donor shortage was always there. So in the past, we would have, um, when the donor anonymity law was removed, we had uh, three to five years waiting time for donor eggs. Now that has come down to, I mean, 12 months or so now. So, I mean, it has changed now significantly recently. But that is because of creating awareness and also because of, uh, I mean, it's not clear whether because the government allowed the compensation, which was not allowed before. In 2012, government said people, uh, HFE said we could compensate donors, whether that brought more donors coming forward. That's an important point. But is it still, because for sperm donors, it's not very much. It's expenses compensation, right? That the, the law must be the same for egg donors. Yes, yeah, it's the same. for So, for sperm so it's do- not a huge amount. No, it's not a huge amount, but it is. Uh, previously, they were just compensated for their uh, travel and things like that, but they were not mm-hmm compensate anything more than that but uh, in 2012 11 2012 the hfa came out with a report the seed report which talked about um, compensation of 750 pounds per donor cycle for egg yes. donors specifically egg donors and for egg donors usually it's a it's a compensation for the time and investment they have put in it's not the compensation for the eggs so that's very important it's not a for say, if someone gets one egg, they will get less compensation or 10 right. eggs. So even if we don't get any eggs, the women will be compensated because they have gone through the whole time and mm-hmm. investment for that process. Sometimes donor eggs are collected, fertilised and then implanted straight into the recipient. Other times, they're frozen and stored in an egg bank for use down the line. According to Dr Minakshi, the success rates of frozen donor eggs versus fresh donor eggs are roughly the same. So there was a 4% drop seen from the HFA data. So They're not huge. But... Not huge. Frozen donor exit was 31% compared to fresh donor exit was 34% life okay. birth chance. So mm. it wasn't a huge. So it is a promising option. It would uh, free up the um, clinics to match the recipient to the... So there will be a lot of advantages, but I would still like to emphasize the same fact, the long-term outcome of frozen eggs whether be it for their own eggs or donor eggs, is not known whether it would have any implications on the child mm. and um, uh, outcomes. So I think we should still mention that quite clearly mm. and explicitly. Mm-hmm. It's very much sort of TBC, I guess, in this area. Yes, indeed. 
Like Dr Minacci says, the lack of statistics on babies born from frozen eggs is partly because egg freezing is still so new. Basically, there haven't been enough babies to draw data from yet. While some women go to Dr Minacci's clinic purely to donate their eggs, others choose egg-sharing programmes, where you agree to donate a certain number of your eggs, often half of them, in exchange for free or discounted treatments. The other half will be frozen for you to use later on, if needed. I feel pretty conflicted about this. On the one hand, great. It means that more women may be able to freeze their eggs. On the other, might women who are worried about their fertility and can't afford freezing feel pushed into doing this because they believe it's their only option? Are there any ethical ethical worries about egg sharing? Because again, it comes down to, you know, there are women who are lucky enough like me who can afford to do it and aren't sharing, whereas women who are, you know, less able to afford it are essentially selling their own eggs to be able to afford to do egg freezing in the first place. Does that ethically worry you? Yeah, so um, it has because uh, it is a licensed treatment. As you know, egg sharing is a licensed treatment and uh, it's been there for many years now. And there Mm. were a lot of ethical debate around all IVF treatment, egg sharing and everything in the past. Mm. So that has been debated and concluded that it is ethically acceptable as long as you are empowering those women with the right information and full information, detailed information, so they can make the choice. Mm -hmm. So um, what is important is that they understand the implications of donating. There are a lot of studies um, showing that it did not reduce the chance of success rate of having a live birth by donating half of their eggs in that cycle. However, the number of embryos available for freezing from that one cycle was reduced compared to if they would not have shared the eggs because half of the eggs have gone. Mm -hmm. So cumulative success rate, when we look from one fresh cycle, the number of, including the number of frozen cycles, the chance of a live birth might be different, lower, or multiple pregnancies from one egg collection cycle. But um, the success rate from one fresh cycle for fresh transfer was comparable. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. But the main thing that uh, they need to have an implications counseling, and that's why it's very important, and that's why HFE emphasizes on having implications counseling for all these women going through treatment and detailed counseling, not only for IVF but for egg freezing as well, yeah. is to understand the implications of what if the treatment doesn't work for them and it works for the other person? How would they take that information? Because that's very important that they don't. Uh, they're not um, put in a position where they did not think about that at all. Right, and they can't then go, oh, I want those eggs back that I donated. Yes, yeah. So uh, this is quite clear in that sense that the women's eggs, including the embryos created uh, using her eggs, which she has donated to someone else. So even though the embryos were created using the um, recipient's partner's sperm, but as long as it contains her genetic material and it's not transferred, it belongs to the woman who donated, so the woman who actually. Oh, shared. wow, okay. Yes, so indeed. So, even when they're fertilised, that's her material. Yeah, even fertilised, yes. So it is her, um, so so basically wow. she has con- she's donated it. So till the embryo is transferred into the other woman, she can withdraw her consent, and that's very important. So we, emph- we emphasise that information as well. So the woman can consent and um, say that uh, she can withdraw the consent. So say after the egg fertilization, if she, she says, I do not consent for that person to have the treatment, I'm withdrawing the consent. We are not allowed to transfer that embryo. Oh, so difficult. And do you come it across is. cases of that? Do you come across um, that? 
Um, no, actually, no, much, thankfully, yes, because we counsel mm-hmm. them. Appro- I mean, I hope that we counsel them appropriately. Mm. So we haven't come across that. But we do I have come across cases where women initially considered they wanted to do egg freezing and they were quite certain. But on the day of egg collection or a day before egg collection, they changed their mind. With the sharing or with the whole procedure? No, with sharing. So they decided they didn't want to share the eggs. I mean, egg donors also sometimes they start the medications and they think, no, actually, this is not right for them. They cancel it as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but with egg sharing, they decide that, OK, no, actually, I don't want to egg share. Um, I've changed my mind. So they yeah. can withdraw. More importantly, say, for instance, as I was telling you, Sophia, that they can withdraw the consent any time before an embryo transfer. Mm-hmm. So if the recipient woman or the woman who's receiving her eggs has an embryo transfer and she has spare embryos which are frozen, at a later date also, the ex-sharer woman can withdraw the consent from use of those embryos. So the frozen embryos will have to be taken out of storage if she withdraws. So if, say, someone uh, received her eggs and had a baby and had frozen embryos to have a sibling, yeah. they can't if the woman refused to uh, allow freezing in the first instance or withdrew her consent later on. So it's very crucial. Wow. They are yeah, difficult about that. Sort of yeah, very difficult. Process. But at the point of transfer... As soon as it's transferred into the other women, they're hers. That's her egg and her... Yes. Well, her embryo. Yeah. Yes, okay. yeah, indeed. Clearly, there's a lot to think about when it comes to egg sharing or egg donation. Some women donate purely because they want to help others. But a lot of donors have direct experience of infertility through a friend or family member. That was how Dr Minakshi became interested in donation in the first place. So I was born and brought up in India. I have seen a um, lot of social taboo surrounding infertility right from childhood. For instance, that um, if a woman is um, infertile, she was not allowed in the past to be part of a um, lot of um, cultural events and functions like wedding or uh, a pregnancy. They were not allowed to come. So I had paternal aunts who were childless, like subfertile, who were not allowed to attend uh, celebrations of a new bride uh, wedding because she may cast her evil shadow, it was classed as, on the new bride and she may not be able to have children. Or if a woman was pregnant, so they were not allowed to come in contact with them. So Mm -hmm. it was a huge taboo and it was a very hidden uh, subject. So all these hidden figures um, and um, silent uh, sufferers of -hmm. the condition just got to my heart. And so I was very... um, empathic towards them and it was always very key um, for me and when I got into obstetrics and gynecology for my specialty training I came across patients and women who were suffering and going round and round with fertility problems and recurrent pregnancy loss problems without getting answers and that got me more into it Mm. and uh, donation is just that um, these are the hidden figures nobody talks about them they every time we talk about um, fertility issues and uh, women requiring uh, donor egg treatment. The agenda is always that we need donors to come forward we, because women are childless without donor eggs. But nobody talks about this immense women who come forward to donate eggs and they're just like the silent figures behind, invisible figures not seen. So I just want them to be seen as well. So mm. that's, that's kind of my passion towards donor treatment. Because I think they do an immense, extraordinary gift of life they give to women and mm. couples and help uh, have babies and advanced science. So I think that extraordinary gift of life they give, we are gratefully indebted to them. So I think we should acknowledge and celebrate their contribution to this. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Dr. Minakshi says the main reason for the scarcity of egg donors is lack of awareness. So I was really keen to meet a donor, and that's how I came across an amazing woman called Elaine Chong. Well, I went to school in the States, actually. Um, I went to university there, and I was taking this class. Uh, it was like sort of the sociology about sex and uh, gamete donation. That was the name of the lecture that day. And they had this professor from Yale come in. In 2017, Elaine chose to go through the same process I did, except she did it in order to donate her eggs after being inspired by a lecture she heard at university in the US. I have never in my whole life thought about gamete donation, sperm donation, egg donation. But then in that one hour, everything that she was saying felt like she was talking to me because um, she was talking about how there are very few women of colour, people of colour actually in general, Mm -hmm. who donate their their sperm and their eggs and so there's a real shortage of that and I think it wasn't until that point I ever thought that of course there must be people in my community or people from because I come from a Chinese background who Mm. must be going through these infertility issues and I'd read about infertility issues in newspaper articles and stuff and you always feel oh there's so much pain you know that people are going through it never um, occurred to me that of course there, are, there must be Chinese women, Asian women who are going through this as well. So mm-hmm. she was saying that, um, okay, there's a shortage of eggs in people of color communities. And um, she said that they were looking for young women to donate stuff. So people preferably in their 20s to donate their gametes. And then she also said something about um, people want like tall children. <laughs> tall. Oh, are you tall? I'm five foot ten. So I just, it was, oh, just, me too. It was just really that? weird. And so everything she was just saying, I was just like, that's so weird. She's talking to me. Oh, and then she said one thing which made everyone sit up. Um, In the US, if you're successful, your eggs can go for like three grand per egg. That's quite Per egg? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's per egg because everyone just went, whoa. The financial side of egg donation is something else that makes me deeply uncomfortable. And I have a big question mark in my head over the ethics of it. The thought that dodgy fertility companies might take advantage of vulnerable women, especially college students who might be in debt, is really grim. $3,000 is a lot of money and I can totally see that it could easily override any concerns about the ramifications of donating. Elaine started looking into egg donation in America, but was told that because she's a British national and lived in the country in the mid-90s when there was an outbreak of mad cow disease, she wasn't allowed to donate. When I came back to London after I graduated, that was 2015, 
I was doing grad school and in 2016 I had some time <laughs> I had spare time um job market not being what it is I was like I actually yeah. have time I can do this because uh, as far as I was concerned this is kind of like admin of my life that I was gonna do you felt like a obligation in a way like a social obligation that this is what you felt you should do um I feel like I didn't even think that hard about as much about it as possible and I think that I thought um this is something that I want to do so I placed the ambition like at the top there and then I went into it Elaine had all the proper assessments and tests to check that she was eligible for donation then started her treatment so you seemed like you were quite relaxed about the process I mean, was it, did you, were you hormonal? Was it emotional? Because you're injecting yourself with quite a lot of drugs. And towards the end, I found anyway, you know, you get tired and bloated and just feel a bit grim. Oh, so bloated. Yeah. So bloated. And so, because you are, it was like um, PMS just all the time. Exactly. Like, yeah. All the time, but way more swollen. And I felt everything was a bit swollen and and tender. So for me, having never really been through such a medical procedure before, it was actually kind of exciting. I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) The novelty of it. Yeah, like, oh, I'm going to go try this thing. I'm going to put on that hospital gown. I've never done that before. (laughs) The sexy backwards (laughs) hospital gown. Very, very nice. And And the paper knickers. Paper knickers. Oh, I can't remember (laughs) if I had paper knickers. You will have done. It's it's almost inevitable that you would have had paper knickers. The really enormous paper knickers. They're really attractive. <laughs> real, yeah, real nice. But uh, I remember <laughs> the day that I went to donate. Um, there's a recovery room. So after you're done, you're wheeled into this recovery room, and there's all these curtains that are drawn up. Mm-hmm. So there's maybe about six 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 patients to the room, and um, I couldn't see the other people who were there. But I did hear a nurse say, oh, uh, the Chinese woman in that one. So if, if she said that, it made me assume like, oh, you know, I guess everyone else is certainly not Chinese, but maybe maybe white. Mm. So that emphasized the idea that there's really less few people of colour who are donating. Like John, the sperm donor I spoke to in episode eight, Elaine was asked to write a letter to any future child that might be born from her donation. I wrote it on my phone very, very quickly. And I was, I remember being so, I remember I started feeling quite overwhelmed. Mm. I was crying on the tube and I was writing it. I was like, oh gosh, I don't want to think about it too, too hot, too much. Mm. Um, so you've still never really allowed yourself, you didn't allow yourself then to think about it too much. Or you sort of shut that down when you started feeling emotional. The mo- I think I let myself, I thought, okay, this is, this is going to, this is going to be the only thing that they get to have from me, yeah. apart from my genes, uh, for the next 18 years of their lives Mm. so I'm gonna have a proper think about what I want to write and um I think I even started with like dear egg (laughs) so dear egg and then um I I talked a little bit about they had these guides to help you you know what you what you like what you like to do what hobbies you have uh what else did did I write I wrote um my hopes for them Mm -hmm. I wrote about how you know if they ever felt lonely to remember that they are very, very much wanted in this world because there were so many factors that had to come together, whether it was, you know, the desire to have this this very special child from the parents, me as the donor, or my friends and family who influenced me to make this decision mm-hmm. to donate the eggs, you know, the fact that I went to school and stick, like all these 
this galaxy of things had come together to make their birth, to make their existence possible. Mm-hmm. So if they're ever feeling a little bit down or a little bit lonely, to remember that there was, they were brought into the universe with so much willpower and love. <laughs> so I remember that's what I was thinking about. The doctors collected 11 of Elaine's eggs and she was paid £750 in expenses to cover the time and effort she put in. It's illegal in the UK to be paid any more than that for egg donation. And I also got a box of chocolates. <laughs> That's amazing. Here you go. Thank you very much. Yeah. So how did you feel after that? So once you've had your collection, I mean, emotionally and physically, how did you feel? Um, physically, I felt lighter. I felt like, oh, my gosh, those, that very important thing that I was doing is now it, it's gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, emotionally, I felt, right, that's, that's packed away now, something that I've wanted to do for years. I've managed to do it. It was like a very, like, ah, a lot of relief, I think. It makes sense that Elaine felt relief. I did too. Getting to the end of the egg freezing process, no more injections, no more fake hormones, is pretty great. And what's very touching is that a little while after Elaine's eggs were collected, she got an update about them. So I got an email last year from the HFEA, Human Fertilisation and Embryology Authority. Yes, the the big cheese Mm. of uh, egg donations. And um, they told me that a healthy baby boy had been born in 2018. I was like, whoa, whoa. I know. I was was quite blown away by that. Did you get, I would would have burst into tears. Did you get emotional? I think as soon as I got the email, I read it and I was like, oh my God, and then I screenshotted it um, and then I put my phone down and then I think I kind of just, not burst into tears, but I just, just put down my, all my excitement, all my sort of emotion and I just let it like settle mm. a little bit. And then I sent the screenshot to my mum and to a group chat of friends. <laughs> when I told my mum that a baby boy had been born and she was like, oh my gosh, can we meet him? And I was like, mum, you know, we can't meet him. Um, because I did not think of myself as, oh, that's my progeny. You know, I didn't think of that as my child. I just thought, I guess it's kind of like my genetic, like a sibling, maybe. Okay, okay. Out there. Yeah. So I was thinking, I was really, really thinking about it from my mum's perspective. Mm. And um, she she really wanted to meet the baby. And I said, no, not for another 18 years. And only if they want to. And she's like, oh, all right. So you, so you can't, even though you got an email from the clinic, presumably no photos and no details about the family, all you know is that one of your eggs has helped make this boy. Yeah, a, a, a human being. Amazing. And then say he's approaching 18, would you like him to get in touch? Would you like a knock on your door? And for this, I was about to say son, but obviously not your son. Would you like this child, <laughs> this boy, this man by that point, to make contact with you? This was one of the boxes to tick on the forms. Okay. And I ticked, we'll be open to it. So I remember thinking when I was filling in those forms, well, I, I hope I'm still using this email <laughs> in 18 years time. You just have to keep it open and just keep checking it over the next 18 yeah. years. <laughs> so you would like him to get in touch then? I would. I'm, I'm very curious to see. Do you know what though? I think with, with this, with the internet and everything, and given the fact that there are so few Asian donors mm. and the fact that I've written about it quite publicly, I think 
I will not be able to spot them, but they might be able to, they might just be able to find me without those, Mm -hmm. that entire 18 years. I think that, like John the sperm donor, Elaine has somehow been able to separate her donation from the emotional gravity of what it might mean for the recipient. Essentially, it's giving the chance of life to somebody. Would you encourage more women to do what you've done then? I think so. I think if people could think about it in less of a... Like, for instance, people donate their blood or people donate their stem cells or things like that. When it comes to donating your eggs, it is a one-time thing. So you might be bloated for a couple of weeks Mm. or a couple of days in a big way, but it is a one-time gift. And from that very first lecture all the way back in 2011, the professor kind of framed it in that way, Mm. which is that egg donors um, view their donation as um, a gift-giving exercise. Like, I donated this, it's out of my hands. Good luck. Mm. Um, whereas sperm donors, because they have to go through constant rigorous health checks, yeah. and let's say they don't drink alcohol for 72 hours beforehand, all these other things, it's a lot more um, ongoing in that sense. And that whereas egg donors are, it, it's a it's a one time. Yeah. Although more invasive than sperm donating, but yeah. Yes, more invasive. Um, so I think if you can be prepared for that, if you can be prepared to um, put your body through this, then and and really do have a think about it and consult family and friends and all the people who are close to you. Mm. It's invasive, but at the end of the day, it's not like open surgery. Mm-hmm. Would you do it again? I think I might do it again. Actually, I remember as soon as I donated, I asked him like, "Well, since I'm this bloated right now, anyway, how quickly can I just can I just do it next month?" What did they say? <laughs> like, can we just can we just go again? They were like, "No, you need to rest." And I was like, "Oh, all right." <laughs> Even if Elaine plays it down, I think what she's done is hugely altruistic and I'm so impressed at her generosity. My usual birthday present to friends is a book, quite often one of my own books, or a jar of my mum's marmalade, which is excellent marmalade, but it's not a potential baby. I've had a lot of ups and downs in my treatment and it's been the thought of having my eggs in the freezer that's kept me going. I'm pretty sure I'm not selfless enough to go through all of that for somebody else. But down the line, if I'd already had children perhaps I'd feel differently. Interestingly, whenever I've chatted about this to friends or female family members who do have children already, they're much less squeamish than me about it. Maybe because they have children, they understand more fully the gift that you're giving someone. Or, and bear with me here, perhaps it's like donating an old coat to a charity shop. You're not going to wear it again, but it's got a few good years in it yet, so you want someone else to get some use from it. It's a slightly weird analogy, but I sort of feel that way about my eggs. I wouldn't want anyone else to use them before I did. In terms of the future of freezing, Dr Meenakshi also works on the world's first mitochondrial donor programme. You might have seen this on the news under headlines about three-person babies. Again, I don't pretend to be any sort of doctor, but when Dr Meenakshi explained this to me, I was blown away. I mean, I simply explain it that uh, if you take... uh egg with the egg yolk and the egg white Mm -hmm. so egg white is the part the cytoplasm where the mitochondria are situated the energy cells okay Okay. so they contain tiny amount of dna but they power all the functioning of the cell so similar to if we have got a camera 
we need to put the batteries in for it to function. Okay, yeah. But uh, the f- how the camera would function, the resolution of the pictures would depend on the quality of the camera, not the battery, because that's the camera's inherent features. Right. So similarly, the nuclear DNA, which is present in our egg yolk, will determine all the characteristics or genetic traits of a person, not the mitochondria, which just provides the energy for the cells to and the organs to function well. Mm-hmm. So women who have got uh, mitochondrial disease, the mitochondrial replacement treatment or the mitochondrial donation, what it does is it removes their nuclear DNA. So what happens is a donor has donated her egg mm-hmm. and her egg yolk, the donor's egg yolk is taken out and replaced with the egg yolk of the woman who's got the disease. Wow. So what happens is that the egg white, which has got the donor's mitochondria, which is the healthy one, would then power the nuclear DNA and the organs and the tissues of the woman who had the condition. So we have separated the two processes. Yes, so that's... And then it can be developed to a blastocyst as normal. As normal, and then we can offer treatment and then women can have a child. Mitochondrial diseases are rare, but it is often life-threatening for the babies of mothers who have it. Doctors have speculated that using an egg with better mitochondria might also increase the chances of successful IVF for women with low egg quality, although this hasn't been proven yet. In terms of donation, I wonder if more women might feel comfortable donating eggs, knowing that only a tiny percentage of their DNA would be passed on to the baby, and the rest of it would be from its genetic parents. Would I feel happier about donating if I knew that essentially only my egg white was going to be used? Maybe. Although I still worry that, right now, I'm feeling much too selfish and protective over my 22 little eggs in the freezer to give them to anyone else. Potentially, that will change down the line. None of us know what's in store for us, after all. Mostly right now, I'm just grateful that there are a growing number of fertility options becoming available, which give women more of a choice than ever before. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Freezing Time. And thank you to Elaine Chong and Dr. Meenakshi Chowdhury for speaking to me. Remember, you can rate and review Freezing Time on Apple Podcasts if you like. I've really appreciated seeing what listeners have had to say about it. Freezing Time was written and produced by Hannah Varrell and Sophia Money Coots and created by Offscript. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.